We want to get Dave up here quickly because we want we know he's got a message for us. But before we do that, Dave and Bryna, we didn't tell you this. Do you guys mind coming up? I'm going to pray for you, Bryna. I know you don't love this. Christy, you can join us as well. But we thought it would be appropriate to, as they come back. By the way, everybody, this is what three-month sabbatical looks like. It's healthy. It's tanned. It's beautiful. This is as good as it gets. Yeah, that's got it. Okay. We're going to pray for these guys, and then we'll get into teaching. Father, thank you so much just for the way that you love each and every one of us. And Father, thank you for uh, being able to meet with each of us in unique and special ways. And Father, specifically, we thank you for Dave and for Bryna and for the kids, for, for them having an opportunity to really get some deep, deep soul rest. And so, Father, as uh, Dave comes back and uh, teaches us through your scriptures, we pray that the words that he have that he has will be truly from you. So we pray a special blessing on, on, uh, on Dave today. And Father, we are just so grateful for this church. We just pray that the future will be one that is of great spiritual health. And Father, we want to be uh, impacting our friends, our neighbors, and our community around us for you. So, Father, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Just for the record, I'm here for the ice cream too. So that's mutual. I saw that lackluster response, but that is okay. With all my heart, I don't want you to be here for me. I mean that sincerely. And uh, I'm going to talk about that today. There's a pattern of transformation, spiritual transformation, that uh, spiritual leaders and teachers have observed for centuries. It's pretty simple. It goes in phases, and the phases are not difficult to understand, to figure out. You can see them happening in people's lives, maybe in your own lives, but they are complex in our lives. It's not automatic that you will move all the way through them, and it's very easy to get stuck in the middle of it. It is about uh, deep and meaningful change. It's not about religious cliches. It's not about surface changes. It's not about tinkering. It's about setting ourselves before God and allowing Him to actually transform who we are. And the phases are simply this. It goes like this. Order, disorder, and reorder. Order, disorder, reorder. Let me break it down a little bit. In order. Now, this is a phase. None of these phases are bad. In other, we need all of them. So let me say that up front. Order. Order usually happens, at least it starts happening early in life as we go through adolescence and as we become young adults. But sometimes it lasts. Uh, sometimes some of us stay in the first stage our entire lives. It is that phase of life where we try and build a life for ourselves. We try and just kind of build the, the foundation or the building blocks of who we are. We put together some of our basic beliefs about the world, about God, about who we are and how we we fit. We set out and we, we try to uh, start to do certain things that give us a lot of times it's security. We're trying to build a secure life or something that we can, we can sort of have a foundation for the rest of life on. So uh, maybe you'll finish school, you'll get a degree, you'll learn a trade, you'll get a job, you'll start a career, you start thinking about family and, and what family looks like for you and what you want it to look like in all different areas of your life. So you're just trying to put together uh, certain building blocks that you can live a life out of. And it's easy to spend your life stuck in this order. Again, it's not bad, but to try and defend those first things that we think about life, about God, about who we are, and about how we're going to live. Now, a lot of uh, this first stage order is about us trying to make a name for ourselves right? You try to build a bit of a reputation, a bit of a resume, whether that's in work, whether that's in relationships, whether that's in social circles, you start to build a name. Here's what I mean by that, build a name, not just the name that somebody gave you when you were born, um, but, but what you're known for. 
So companies know this because they want their name to be synonymous with certain things. So Apple, when, they want, when, they, when you hear their name, they want you to think about easy and innovative technology that's going to change your life. Amazon wants you to think that you could order just about anything in the world and have it delivered to your house the next day. Uh, if I told you today, hey, we're going to go to McDonald's for lunch, you would know certain things. You probably wouldn't think, oh, I got to dress up in my finest clothes and expect a gourmet meal. But you're probably going to think about convenience and, and something that's fast and terrible for you, but really tasty. If you're going to a concert, entertainers know this, because by their name, they're going to set the expectations of what you think. And so uh, if you just know, hey, I'm going to a concert to see the Beatles or I'm going to see Harry Styles, you are going to expect different things. Also tells you something about how old you are. <laughs> In sports, top athletes have realized now that in our culture, their name can make them way more money than even what they do on the field or on the court. If they put their name on a clothing line or on shoes, uh, they can bring in tons of money because they've got this brand. And our top athletes, some of them, we know them so well because of how they've marketed themselves. So if you're a basketball fan, there's probably a handful of players that you know by one name. It's Michael, it's Magic, it's LeBron, it's Wilt. For hockey... Maybe the most famous of hockey players. We don't even have to talk about his name. He's just the great one, right? How important that name is. And for all of us, we set out in life in this stage of order. And in some ways, we're building a name for ourselves. If we want to use kind of an economic crass term, we're building a bit of a brand. Do you know what yours is? Do you know what your brand is? Do you know what your name is? Kind of what you've built? Early in life, but maybe some of us, again, we've sort of defended that and this has become very much part of our identity and we want to bring it along. Some of them we've done really on purpose. Like, this is who I want to be, so these are the things I'm going to do and I'm going to become known for. Others of them, they just sort of happened. Maybe someone else has expected certain things for you and given you that name. And so uh, you kind of walk around and you go, I'm, I'm the smart one. I'm the successful one. I'm the wealthy one. I'm the athletic one. I'm the fun one. I'm the one that doesn't have enough fun. I'm, the, I'm whatever. And then some of those are kind of positive and they're good and we want to feed into them. Although we can get into this whole idea where we got to, now I got the pressure to maintain that. If I'm the athletic one, I always got to win. I got to, I got to perform well. But then there's those other names that have oftentimes been given to us. Again, it could be the internal voice, but it could also be the voice of people that are influential in our lives. And we might feel like I'm the one that always messes up. I'm the one that doesn't fit in. I'm the one that fails. And our name, what we think our name is, can be so crucial to how we see ourselves. Whether we think we measure up, need to maintain that idea of who we are, or whether we think we don't. Now, whatever our name is, whatever name we build up in that order stage, again, that comes with the things that we do, the things that we work at, the things that we believe. Inevitably, we will come to a point in our lives where that order gets disrupted. We come to disorder. Something jars us out of that. Now, this could be a whole bunch of things. It could be something subtle. It could be something super major. It could be that you set out, you know, for a lot of people, you set out and go to school, you graduate high school, maybe you move out of your parents' house, or you start work, and all of a sudden, some of the things that you just believed about how the world works and who you were no longer fit anymore. You had experiences, or you got education, and you go, man, this stuff, I, I really thought this, but now I don't think that works anymore. For some of us, it's just these, these times where we go, man, that, that identity, that name that I've been creating no longer feels big enough to house my soul, to house my life. It's not satisfying enough. It doesn't, doesn't provide enough for me. 
In the world, we've had a major, major phase of disorder in the last few years, right? I, we're probably sick of hearing about it, but you hit a pandemic and all of a sudden people go, okay, what I've been doing has to change, probably what I've been thinking has to change, how I think about other people has to change, and it hasn't just been that because during a pandemic, we're all still dealing with our individual moments of disruption and disorder, but now in a heightened way because the whole world is in chaos, and we're seeing that we have, you know, in a very culture that's becoming, in many ways, very polarized and wondering how do I relate to people and maybe there's family stuff going on. Maybe you're experiencing grief or loss in certain areas of your life. We hit disruption. We hit disorder. And all of a sudden, that order no longer works. We need something deeper. We need something bigger. We have this growing frustration. We have uh, maybe, maybe this disillusionment. A lot of people walking around feeling like they're a little more cynical than they used to uh, in life. Maybe a little less trusting of people, looking for something more deep, more meaningful, something that makes more sense of our actual real life experiences. So in the midst of all of that, there are some trends in the church. When I say the church, I mean not just our church. But especially in North America, there's some trends, I don't know about everywhere in the world, but there's some things that we're seeing that are just very obvious. People who study, so how are people dealing with church these days? So here's a few things that are happening. It's not just one thing, but some people who were in church are not coming back. They've hit this disruption and they go, this doesn't work for me for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it was just, hey, I got, I got used to staying home on Sunday mornings and eating bacon and eggs and do I really need to come back? That's been me for three months, Okay. It's hard today. I'm just kidding. I'm happy to be here. But the, you know the pull, right? Oh, I can just stay home or maybe even I can just watch church on TV. Maybe that's fine. Is that okay? Does the digital version just carry through? Is that big enough for, uh, for it? Or maybe it's just a questioning of your faith. Like, I don't know how to get through this or I've seen the struggles or I don't know if I can trust a church community anymore. There's some people on the flip side who were not in a church community who were going, man, I need to find something. Maybe they had no faith and they're going, uh, this has just rocked my world and there's got to be something more and maybe that I can find that in a church. Maybe I can find that in a religious community. And then there's a whole bunch of people who are looking for a fresh start. There's a great reshuffle. There's this idea of uh, I'm not necessarily giving up on my faith or my beliefs. Maybe I'm rethinking how I live that out. Maybe there's just things that were already wrong that are now brought to the surface and I'm not comfortable there anymore. I, I need something different. Maybe it's, it's just looking for something where you just go, this has to be more meaningful. It has to be stronger. It's easy to get stuck in the order phase. Uh, because we get comfortable with the order that we create. And even if we don't love the name that we've made, uh, it can just be the safe place if this is who I am. And so I'm just going to fight for things to stay the same. Some of us, even after a disruption or a period of disorder, we just want to go back. It's easy to get stuck in the disorder phase. Everything's fallen apart. Some people call this deconstruction. I can't believe this anymore. I can't trust anymore. I don't want to be part of this anymore. I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I've had it. It's easy to get stuck in that, that negativity and cynicism. It's easy to, to just kind of try to throw everything out. But for some, there is this opportunity to say, we may not be able to go back to order, but that's okay. We don't want to get stuck in disorder, but here's the opportunity. We can move to build something that is deeper and more meaningful something that's, that's bigger that can actually hold our lives and who we are. And that's what this series is going to be about for the next three weeks. So talking about names, my name is Dave. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Hi. 
some of you, uh, I don't know your name. I was, look, I was watching last week, and Pastor John uh, was talking about, hey, I'm still trying to learn your name, your name, some of you, and all this kind of stuff, because Pastor John's new. Uh, he came on staff May 1st, I think, and then I left two weeks later. I was like, good luck. And I went away for three weeks, and now I come back and say, I need to learn your names, because not because I'm new, because many of you are new, which is wonderful, and so glad that you're here. And I'm looking forward to that, getting to know some of you. So happy to see so many of you back uh, after that three months. Um, sabbatical's been a great time for me uh, and my family. I want to say a couple of quick thank yous. I want to thank our board of elders for just giving uh, that time and allowing us to get away, to rest and, and be refreshed, to spend time as a family and to think about our church and uh, reflect a little bit and also look forward. Um, I want to thank the church for you guys for letting me do that. That's gracious of you. Um, and I want to thank uh, our staff. Like I said, Pastor John, who we brought on um, and kind of threw him right into the mix. Uh, he's been wonderful. And uh, our media director who's up with the kids today, Zach Boot, has been uh, fantastic. See, he's also the opposite. He's been around a long time. He knows how things run. It's great to have him uh, be able to, to keep going. Um, and then we had a whole bunch of speakers. Uh, some of you who are here stepped up and, and did some teaching. I'm thankful, thankful for you guys and for some that were outside of our church. And uh, I'm really excited to be back. And uh, what I want to do for the next three Sundays, including today, is I want to share some scriptures that have become very precious to me in the last few months. Because I believe, as I've been reflecting, one of the things on sabbatical I was able to do is just spend a lot of time um, reading scriptures and asking God to speak to me, um, and hopefully listening. Uh, and I, I just believe there's some scriptures that God wants to speak to us as a community. Whether you've been here forever, whether you're just brand new, maybe even just checking things out, uh, my hope is that in these scriptures, God would be speaking to us us, and that we would posture ourselves in such a way that we would listen and maybe think about what it looks like to build something deeper and stronger when it comes to our faith, and not just our faith as individuals, but together as a community. So today I want to uh, read from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and if you have a Bible or on your app, love for you to read uh, along with us and, and follow along. Um, it's there, not too far into the Old Testament, the first part of the scriptures. Here's a couple, a bit of things on context. Um, God had given the Israelites a homeland, a place to, to dwell. He had made them a bunch of promises about his presence with them uh, to build them into a people, and he had made a promise um, that he would give them a king. Talk a bit about more, that more next week. Um, and one, part of that was building a temple, a place where in a special sense, God's presence would reside, where people would come and become central for their worship, would become central for their politics, would become central um, for their community, for people to come together and to find God. And so uh, in the, these early chapters of Second Chronicles, they're building the temple. Uh, king David started it, but he didn't get to finish it. And now his son, King Solomon, he's finishing it. And as they finish it, um, they're dedicating it. And they have this big festival and they start offering sacrifices to God. This is their way of, of communing with God, of connecting with God, and it's this place to pray. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, there's this, this big long passage where Solomon is saying to God, you know, we're thinking about the temple. We're thinking about God's presence is here. This is where we come. This is where we find God. This is where we pray together. And he's saying things like, if there's famine, like if we don't have enough food, God, we need you to hear our prayers. And if there's not enough water for our crops, God, we need you to hear our prayers. And if we're fighting with each other and hurting each other, God, we need you to hear our prayers and forgive us. And if we need justice, God, we need you to, to intervene and we need you to hear our prayers. And just a list of like, when things go wrong, when things go wrong, when things go wrong, God, will you hear our prayer? We need you to hear our prayer. We need this place to be where we come. And we we know that you will hear us. He's kind of talking about that disorder phase 
When things get thrown off, when we don't have enough, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when, when things are bad, we just need to know that, God, we, you'll hear us in this temple. So they dedicate the temple and they have this big party. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God comes back and speaks to Solomon. And that's where I want to camp out for a few minutes today. Here's what it says, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 11. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. This is all language Solomon used in the previous passage. And God comes back and says, um, we'll just get on the same page. There's going to be some hard times along the way. This is not going to be perfect. You're going to come to moments in life where your order gets turned to disorder, where you're disrupted, where things are tough. So there, there's no pretending about that. That's good. And then this, this amazing verse, verse 14. Then, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Here's what we might expect. There's a people building a little bit of momentum, right? Okay, we're in this land that God has given us. Now we've built this temple. It's pretty impressive. You can read about the dimensions and the, 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 the fancy materials that are used to build it and how big it is and how great it is. And you might get to this point and go, okay, now that we're building this momentum, what are the kinds of things that we need to do? You might expect that the conversation would be, how do we build a name for ourselves? What do we need to do? Because this is looking good. But as Solomon's already been praying, we could have famine, we could have grasshoppers destroying our crops, we could have enemies coming against us. What happens when our enemies fight against us? We could ruin this by fighting against each other. We, there could be all kinds of problems, and the solution might be perfect. Then you need to make sure that you're wealthy as a nation, that you build up your treasury, that you have lots of stuff. You might say you need to go build a huge military because your enemies very will come and fight against you. Spoiler alert, they do. You might blow this by fighting against each other. You, might be, you should be making a name for yourself. You should be uh, making alliances with other nations so that when those kinds of things happen, you are, are well-prepared, well-positioned to be strong. Go and make a name for yourself, which is why verse 14 is so powerful. Hey, disorder's going to come to you. We can predict it. We know that it's going to happen. But then if my people who are called my by my name will humble themselves. It's really the opposite of what we would expect. This is what happens if, in a healthy way, we want to move through the phase of disorder. When we think we need to go and rebuild in our strength and, and the power and the money and the alliances, and we need to look good, and we need people to be afraid of us, and all this kind of stuff, and go, God just brings them down. But then if there will be my people called by my name. Isn't that beautiful? When God says my people, this covenant language, we read it a very repeated um, line that is throughout scripture when God is talking about his covenant, his relationship with his people. And oftentimes it's here's how this is going to look and here's the stipulations and here's what you'll do and here's what, what I'll do. And I will be your God and you will be my people. Your identity will be staked with me. 
you will be called by my name. And you say, yeah, but don't we have to make a name for ourselves? Don't we have to become known for something? You say, yes, maybe, but you don't need to make a name for yourself. You need to take a name for yourself. And God says, I offer you my name. Your life can be all about me, about my character, about my power, about about what I can do in this world, about what I want to give you, about who I want to make you. If a people, my people, called by my name would humble themselves. And we see this powerful principle of moving forward that's so counterintuitive in a world where we're told over and over, prove yourself and make a name for yourself and build a resume and do all the things that, that make you look good. God says, you don't need to make a name for yourself. You need to take a name for yourself. Take my name for yourself. It's just, it kind of blows your mind. This word humility, it actually comes from another word, the root of it. Um, And it's used for a bird that folds its wings. Just think about that picture for a second. The opposite is a bird that spreads its wings, which is what we talk about a lot of time when we talk about making a name for yourself. You know, as parents, you kick your kids out at a certain age and you go, spread your wings and fly. Go make something. I'm not paying for anything anymore. Go make something of yourself. Work hard. Build a name for yourself. It's not that that's bad. That's, that's an important phase. We wouldn't get anywhere in life without it. It's just not deep enough to hold our entire identities and who we are. And so we come to a place of disorder, of disruption, and we say maybe the answer is not to spread our wings and fly, but to fold our wings and to submit ourselves. Humility means to place ourselves under, to come under the name of God, to say you will be the one that runs my life. And that's not real popular because we get kind of addicted to I want to do what I want to do and I think I have the answers to my life and I think I can make it. And that's why it's so powerful to live a humble life of dependence, to realize it's not about the name that I can make. That's only going to take me so far. Again, listen, that's not bad. We all have to do it to a certain extent. It's only going to take you so far. The disruption, the disorder helps us to understand that. Oh, I need something bigger. So how do we find a way to be humble? You go, oh, okay, well, how do we humble ourselves to be God's people called by his name, not by our name? There's now three other verbs following in that verse that um, I think the humility comes out of. I want to talk about each one. First one, so if my people called by my name would humble themselves, number one, and pray. Specifically, there's a lot of words in the Bible that are translated pray. Specifically, this one means to intercede or to intercede and ask God to intervene. For people who are uh, primarily focused on building a name for themselves, making a name for themselves, prayer is a spectacular waste of time. I've got too much to do. I've got too much to accomplish. My list is long. There's so many things that I got to get through. And don't you understand? Because I have to achieve this and I have to, I have to make sure this is done. And I got I to gotta look this way. And in prayer, you go, well, what are you going to do with that time? You go, I'm just going to sit and be quiet. And sit and be quiet. You got to make a name for yourself. No, I don't. I just got to sit with the one who's giving me his name, giving me his character, the one that I can depend on. I'm going to take all the stuff that I think I need. And instead of going out and saying, first and foremost, I'm going to take care of all those things. I am going to intercede so that God can intervene. I'm going to realize that I, I, I am so dependent on God in my life. And so prayer becomes my, 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 my engine. Prayer becomes uh, so important to me because I, I can't just make a name that's big enough for myself. I need to rest in the name that is big enough to give me my identity. 
So when we come to church and we go, hey, you should have a quiet time, and you go, well, I'm tired and I'm busy and I fall asleep. It's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about coming before the living God when you're tired and when you're busy, but understanding that, that this isn't like an add-on. This is, this, is, this is how we receive God's name over and over and over, and our hearts were reminded that God speaks to us and lives in us and lives through us. If my people would pray, if they would seek my face. This is an interesting one because in the scripture, seeking the face of God, there's a real tension there. There's a push and there's a pull. There is this idea that I really want to seek the face of God. The face of God, other way of talking about it is his presence. And sometimes it's translated literally to seek his face. And sometimes it says something like to seek his presence. I want more of God in my life. But here's the tension in it. We really want to seek the face, to see the face of God, and also we cannot handle it. You read that throughout the Old Testament. So uh, one of the first stories in the Bible, Adam and Eve. You got Adam and Eve, man and woman. They're in the garden and they're walking with God. Beautiful. Look at this picture of intimacy. We're walking with God in his creation, just the way that it ought to be. And then we know Adam and Eve, they disobey God. They eat of the fruit of the tree that they're not supposed to eat off of. And then what happens is they hide themselves from the presence of God or from the face of God. And God comes looking for them and where you are. And they're hiding because now they have this sense of what they had experienced before in the presence of God. I can no longer, for this reason, because I'm no longer worthy of that. This is no longer natural. This no longer makes sense. I can't, I can't really be in the presence of God. There's this shame. There's this fear. There's this otherness. Moses, one of the great leaders uh, in the, in the uh, Old Testament, uh, he's leading the people. And at one point in, in Exodus, he says to God, because he's sort of the, the intermediary between God and the people, and God speaks to him and he speaks to the people. And at one point he says, God, I want to see your glory. Like, I want to see your character. I want to know who you are. I want to know everything about you. I want to have this face-to-face -face encounter. And you know what God says to him? He says, Moses, I get that. That's good, of course. You know, I, oh, I want more of God. Wonderful. But God says, I'm going to put you in this little cleft of a rock, and I'm going to pass by you because you cannot see my face because no one can see my face and live. And it's like, Moses, oh, it's, it's the push and pull. I want to see the face of God. Yes, but it's just, there's this, I am not worthy. I cannot handle that, that God is so holy. God is so beautiful. God is so good. God is so wonderful. And so God, his presence passes by, and it's like Moses just sees him from behind, and that's enough to be like, wow. But then you've got all these other passages and psalms in different places where it talks about seeking the face of God. There's still this idea of, oh, I might be so unworthy, but also, oh, I just want God's presence, and I want more of God's presence, but I'm not worthy of that, and I don't, I don't know about that. You have Jacob, who is one of the patriarchs uh, for Israel, and it says Jacob, at one point, he wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night, and at the end, the angel of the Lord kind of pops his hip out, and he loses the fight, Jacob does, and in the end, he says, I have seen God face to face, and my life has been spared. It's like I wrestled with the presence of God, and it's so scary, and I'm so unworthy, but my life was spared. It's this push, it's this pull. You can't see my face, it's just too much for you. There's this powerful blessing that is given by um, some of the, the, the priestly people that says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Oh, I just don't know if I can handle it. It's just so good and so, I'm so unworthy. And yet I want more of God's presence in my life. If there was a people, my people called by my name who would pray and who would seek my face 
and who would turn from their wicked ways. To have the humility again, this is how we live out the humility, these three steps, to admit our faults and change our actions. No excuses, no blaming, no avoiding, just saying this has to change and so I am going to turn and live differently. I'm not out to make a name for myself, but I need to take a name that is greater than any other name. And so we're called to humble ourselves, to take his name, to pray, to seek his face, to turn from evil. I just wonder if you look at that list, if I look at that list collectively, if we did today, we might ask ourselves, is there one, two, or three of those steps where you would say, oh, man, I, I got to get back to that. I've been out there. I've been busting my hump to restore my relationships. I've been trying so hard to bring people together that are fighting in my family. I've been working so hard to provide for my family. I've just, all the, the stress has been on my back and this has been a tough time in the world or in my family or my, my faith. And what if it came back to there is a God who wants to intervene in my life and so I'm going to intercede on my behalf and on the behalf of others. What if there's areas of in your life where it's like, I've just taken this, I've compartmentalized, I don't think about God, and you realize, man, my marriage needs more of the presence of God. My workplace needs the presence of God. My personal life needs the presence of God. And you said, I need to be leaning into the presence of God, not leaning away from the presence of God. And maybe there's some things in your life where you just let it go, and you know, this is a sinful thing in my life, this is a destructive thing in my life, this is a way that I'm hurting people around me, and it's time for me to stop blaming and excusing and just turn from it, and to go in a different way. All right, that's a little heavy, that's a little intense. It's okay, though, because then let's just go back to that verse 14 and read the three verbs corresponding at the end of the verse to the ones that we read in the first verse. When you pray, God says, I will hear you from heaven. And when you seek my face and feel unworthy and guilty and shameful, I will forgive and when you turn from your wicked ways or your sin, I will heal your land. I will restore your land. Whew, that's good. Because, you know, we could, in the first three verbs, we could just, that could still be just building a name for ourselves, just with some religious words around it. But when you add who God is and relying on his name, you realize this sinks to a different level. This is not about me. This is about him. Again, some of us were just meeting today, so I hate to be, tell you this, be the one, but, you know, if we actually walked through that, do you know what we would learn? We are not that important, but we're infinitely valuable. Isn't that a beautiful paradox in the spiritual life? You're not that important. Your name, my name that we've built, our reputations and stuff, one day we're going to realize that's kind of a small thing, but you are infinitely important. Listen to this, verse 15. Just listen to this. God keeps going. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. Why could all of this work? Because listen, this puts us in a very vulnerable position. You say, I thought we we're talking about being stronger and building something deeper. This puts us in a very vulnerable position. And then we hear God, my eyes are always on you. My ears are always attentive to your prayer because my heart is with you. So listen, none of this was written to us. This was written to people 
we built a temple, you know, some of the history around it and spiritual history around it. But I just wondered, uh, as I read this and just spent some time, if God was whispering to us and saying, you need to know my eyes are on you. My ears are attentive to you because my heart is with you. In the disorder, in the confusion, in the trying to build back, I'm watching you. I'm listening to you. My heart is with you. In the original Hebrew, it literally says every day, all the days, all of it. Uh, we're not building a temple. And Jesus was actually, uh, Jesus, when he talks about the temple and the temple leadership, he's actually, he gets pretty fired up, if you've noticed that. Uh, calm, relaxed, gracious Jesus. When he gets really upset, it's usually against the religious leaders and around the temple. And I don't think it's just because of the temple. Like, you read this, and I don't think Jesus would go, oh, that's dumb. I think Jesus, he just realized how far away from that we got. This place, supposed to be a place of prayer, a place where people can come. A place, by the way, for all nations and all peoples, not just the Israelites to come, but for everybody to come and to find the presence of God. And he was so frustrated with what he was seeing. Because if you go through this, just like in a heart way, God's saying, you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to be authentic. There's no faking that. I mean, you can fake some of these things, but if you're, if you're into this, the, the praying and seeking God's face, turning from sin, like this is just, let's get rid of all the, I'm creating a name for myself and an image for myself and a brand for myself, and this is what it looks like, and this is what people see. In prayer, that just, like real prayer, that just falls apart. You sit before God. He knows who you are. In seeking his face and his presence, that just falls apart. I'm not seeking the, you know, what other people think and comparing myself and all that kind of stuff. In turning away from sin, really turning away from sin, it's not like, oh, well, we'll talk about it and what do we believe about it? It's actually turning away from, like, it's just, it's authentic. And this is what Jesus said in Jesus, uh, John chapter uh, 2. Jesus is talking to these people and he talks about the temple and he says, if you, if you knock this thing over, if you destroy it, I could rebuild it in three days. And they go, this took us 46 years to build. This took us decades to build. And then his, it says in there that the disciples, they realized after his death that uh, he wasn't talking about the temple. The temple, by the way, 40 years after Jesus was destroyed. The Romans came and, and destroyed it. Jesus knew that was going to happen. It wasn't looking good. But he said, I will rebuild something stronger in three days. You go, oh, this, uh, this order, disorder, reorder, is that just something people made up? Greatest picture of that is Jesus. His life, his death, the disruption, it's over, and then his resurrection. God's saying, I take a surrendered life. I take someone who can abandon themselves in love, in self-sacrificing love, and I will resurrect them. And that is the hope of the good news of Jesus, that what looks like a death, what looks like disorder is actually the place where we can come to something deeper and more meaningful. Jesus didn't just live this. He did it as a one-time offering, sacrifice, uh, show of love to all of us, to humanity, but he taught it over and over. If you want to find your life, you need to lose it. If you want to come to reorder and have something bigger, stronger, deeper, more meaningful, you need to go through the disorder. And in the disorder to find something that's more meaningful, the presence of God in you and through you. For us, um, again, we don't have a temple, and we're not going to build one. Don't worry. Uh, but Jesus, of Jesus, it says this in John 1.18, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. We now say, well, what does it look like 
to come under the name of God, to be his people, is to take on the name of Jesus. The first step to move from disorder to, to reorder is not to make a name for ourselves, but to take a name for ourselves. And I believe with all my heart that name is Jesus. And so as Philippians 2 tells us, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit because you do not have to make a name for yourself, but rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, we come to you as a God who I believe is watching over us, who's listening to us, because I believe that your heart is for us. Your heart is to give us life, life that is abundant, life that is meaningful, deep, and true, the life that we want. I want to thank you that uh, when we pray, you hear our prayers. When we seek your presence in our lives, though we were unworthy, you forgive us. God, when we have the courage, just in honesty, to turn from our, our sinfulness, that you will heal us. We ask today in Jesus' name that you would help us to be attentive to your presence and that you would show yourself to be the God that you've always been. Thank you that we can escape uh, the pressure of maintaining and trying to build a name for ourselves and that we can humbly accept the name of Jesus, the powerful and the loving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, to your glory, amen.